0: Shepherd separates sheep from goats, and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty. eternal life the gospel of the lord in the name of the living god father son and holy spirit amen y'all please be seated in good morning jesus the homeless is a bronze sculpture Jesus the Homeless is a bronze sculpture. It was created by a Canadian artist, a man named Timothy Schmaltz. And this work of art, this sculpture, Jesus the Homeless, depicts Jesus as a homeless person stretched out on a park bench. In February of 2013, there was an Episcopal church called St. Albans. In Davidson, North Carolina, that installed this work, this home Jesus the Homeless, on its property in the middle of a, of a nice neighborhood, a pretty upscale neighborhood full of nicely upkept townhomes. The bronze Jesus is huddled <laughs> under a blanket, lying on a park bench with his face and hands. By the way, I wonder if any of you have seen this. There is actually one of these in Austin, Texas now. Uh, I think it's at Central Presbyterian Church. But Jesus is there lying on the park bench with his face and hands covered and concealed by a mangy blanket, the kind of blanket that's often used by people on the street. Only the crucifixion wounds on his feet, his exposed feet, only those crucifixion wounds give his identity away. Now, at St. Albans, this church in Davidson, North Carolina, the reaction to the statue was immediate. Some loved it, some not so much. According to a story on NPR.org, one woman uh, from the upscale neighborhood actually called the police. The first time she drove past the the statue, she thought that it was actually a homeless person. That's right, someone actually called the cops on Jesus. Just imagine that woman's surprise when, uh, w- right after she called the police to learn that the perpetrator was Jesus Christ. Now today, friends, today on this Christ the King Sunday, we come to Matthew 25. It's often called the Great Assize. this story in Matthew 25, this parable of the sheep and the goats, right? And in this story, we read about two very different polar opposite responses to Jesus. In this parable, we see a picture of a judgment scene, right? A judgment scene in which the Son of Man is seated on a throne and he is sorting through a great sea of people and he is sorting them in to two groups, the sheep and the goats. The sheep are on his right and they are welcomed into heaven and the goats on his left. They are banished to hell. On what basis, my question, my first question for us this morning, on what basis does the king render judgment? What's the criterion that he uses to direct uh, the two groups to their proper destination? Does, Does he have a sorting hat? Kind of like in the Harry Potter stories, this group is going to go off to Slytherin and this group is going to go off to Gryffindor. Is that how it works? No. The basis for his judgment is this. How did you treat Jesus? How did you treat Jesus during the course of your life? For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me, Jesus says. Again, how did you treat Jesus during the course of your life? But, friends, not Jesus in the ordinary sense. No. Instead, how did you treat the hungry, the immigrant, the imprisoned, the suffering, the marginalized? It is on that basis that the king will render judgment. For as Jesus says in verse 40 this morning, when you did it to the least of these, the hungry, the immigrant, the prisoner, when you did it to them, he says, you did it to me. When you welcome these folks, the hungry, the immigrant, the prisoner, when you welcome them as Christ, then you were welcoming me, he says. By the way, we have a sign Right outside the red doors, there's folks to St. George's this morning who are new to the church, and you might not realize that outside of both sets of red doors, we have a sign that says, all are welcomed as Christ. That is the spirit of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 25 this morning. All are welcomed as Christ, that sign says. But friends, what I want to do with you this morning... What I want to say to you this morning is that this parable, even though it might be familiar to you, maybe you've heard it many times over the course of your life, what I want to say to you this morning is that this parable is full of surprises. We've already seen one surprise, right? The surprise of that well-to-do lady in Davidson, North Carolina, uh, when she realized that it was Jesus on whom she called the cops. Think about the shock that she must have felt. That is the same shock as these folks in Matthew 25 on the day of judgment. It is the same surprise. What does that woman have in common with these examinees, these examinees in Matthew 25? It's this, they never imagined in their wildest dreams that Jesus was like that. I mean, Jesus is God, right? Jesus is the great king, seated at the right hand of the Father, right? And yet, look at him, homeless on a park bench, naked and famished, sharing a prison cell with a hardened criminal. See, this is the fundamental shock, the bedrock surprise. The surprise is this, that this King Jesus. I'm very aware of the fact that in a church like St. George's, Uh, We've got progressive folks in this church, thanks be to God, and I'm very aware of the fact that for some people, this language of king is a bit troubling. I get that. It connotes patriarchy. Some of us have, 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 have been abused by male figures in our lives. I get it. But the surprise is this. King Jesus is a very strange king very strange king. He's a king like the world up to this point had never known. According to our gospel lesson today, this is a king who was hungry. A king who was thirsty. What kind of king is this? A king who was a stranger and an immigrant. A king who was naked, sick, imprisoned. Talk about a surprise. This is the gospel surprise. But That's just the first surprise this morning because this first surprise, this bedrock surprise that Jesus is so strange that he redefines whatever you might think about when you think of a king, this surprise points to two other surprises this morning. It points to two other surprises. And the first of these two other surprises is a historical surprise. It's a surprise of history Don't know if you've ever heard of a second century document called the Letter of Diognetus. It is an ancient document written to, uh, uh, that dates back to the second century Roman Empire. This letter was written only a few decades after the last of the apostles. Think about that. Just after the last of the apostles dies, this letter is written. And it was written, so think about that, it was written very early on as as this Christian movement began to spread throughout the Roman Empire. The author and the recipient are not uh, known with certainty, but likely it was written to a high-ranking official for the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius, the letter of Diognetus, written to a high-ranking official in the administration of Marcus Aurelius. And what the letter says about these Christians, right, this minority group of marginalized folks in the Roman Empire, what it says about these Christianoi is shocking. According to this second century century document, this epistle, these Christians, quote, they exist in the flesh, but they do not live by the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They, they obey the prescribed laws, all the while surpassing the laws by their lives. They love all people, but are persecuted by all. They're unknown and condemned. They're put to death, but restored to life. They're poor, and yet they make many rich. They lack everything, yet they overflow in everything. They're dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor, they are glorified. They are spoken ill of, and yet justified. They're reviled, but they bless. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When when punished, they rejoice as if raised from the dead. They are assailed by the Jews as barbarians. They are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to give any reason for their hatred, close quote. Do you see, dear friends, this way of life that is described in this letter of Diognetus? It's a snapshot of how the early Christians acted and lived their lives in the early Roman Empire. This way of life, this new practice of love, it slowly began to permeate and leaven as yeast. It began to permeate the culture of the Roman Empire like yeast, leavens, a loaf. But this way of life, it was new. It was strange. It was surprising. But most of all, it was rooted in something. It was rooted in the life of Jesus himself, the poor king, the immigrant king, the naked king. It was so surprising that it eventually brought the brutal Roman Empire, do you realize how brutal and violent this society was? It brought that society to its knees. It melted Roman hearts with love. This is actually a historical fact. It literally, this way of life, it turned the Roman Empire upside down. Do you see the point? This paradoxical, shocking, surprising King Jesus, he launched a revolution He launched a revolution that changed the world, that surprised the world, and this revolution is still reverberating today. Do you see? It is a historical surprise. But there's one final surprise I want to share with you all this morning, and once again, it is based on the surprising character of this king, this paradoxical king that we're celebrating today, this king, Jesus himself, and this surprise comes directly from the text This morning, because you see, y'all, it's very easy for us to hear these words in Matthew 25. It's easy for us to read this parable and to think to ourselves, okay, I've got to start working really hard. I got to roll up my sleeves. I got to serve the poor even more. It's time to call Georgia uh, and go volunteer more with El Buen Samaritano. I really have to get out there and start doing more stuff, working harder. I guess it's time to start volunteering more, maybe double my hours with Habitat for Humanity or Mobile Loaves and Fishes. But dear friends, y'all are already doing that stuff. I kind of feel like what you need, what we need at St. George's isn't for the preacher to stand up here and say, do more. No. I actually think that that kind of misses the point of the parable. In fact, this is where we see the third surprise this morning and we see it in this parable it's in verse 37 think about this with me lord when was it that we saw you hungry and thirsty stranger and naked sick and imprisoned and served you when was that lord do you see these righteous christians they 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 barely knew what they were doing They weren't trying really hard to work harder and serve the poor. They weren't trying to earn anything. They weren't trying to earn brownie points with God or to earn a spiritual gold star or to do a good deed or to be a good citizen. They were not doing any of that. In fact, they were barely aware of what they were doing. They were barely aware that they were serving their neighbor. Story, again from history, in World War II France, when the Nazi-controlled government was slaughtering Jews by the thousands. There was a small pocket of resistance. This small pocket of resistance was in a small town in France called Le Chambon-sur-Lignon. And this small town made history by harboring 5,000 refugees during the war, most of them Jews, most of them children. This caused the population of the village to double in size. And so it caught the attention of the Nazis. Occasionally, the Nazis would raid the village and interrogate the people, but but the people of Chambon stood firm. But here's what's interesting about the story, and you could Google this and you can watch documentaries about it. It's amazing. Here's what's interesting about the story. You see, almost all of the citizens of that village were Huguenot Christians who themselves had a long history of persecution in Catholic France. And after the war, when they were interviewed by the news reporters and the documentary filmmakers and asked about their efforts to shelter the Jews, it was amazing how they responded. Why did you do it, they were asked. Why did you risk your lives to help these suffering people? And over and over and over again, these Huguenot Christians, and now I'm quoting, Quote, they said that they did not think of themselves as courageous champions who defiled the Nazis. Instead, they quietly did what others, would, what other, what others could do, serving thousands of people from their, their oppressors. Why did they do it? It's simple, they explained. Love God and love neighbor. It's just what Christians do. It's simple, they said. Love God and love neighbor, it's just what Christians do. See, dear friends, this parable this morning, it's true that it is about good works. It is true that this parable is about good works for the needy, but you are not a Christian because you serve the needy. You serve the needy because you're a Christian. You're not a Christian because you serve the needy. That puts the cart before the horse. As those brave Nazi resistors said, It's just what Christians do. It's almost like breathing. It's just a byproduct of their relationship with Christ. So, dear friends, don't focus on the good works. Don't even focus on neighbors and friends and suffering people in need. Instead, focus this morning on King Jesus. Focus this morning on Christ. Christ who became needy. For us. Christ, who became an immigrant, think of it. Christ, who became imprisoned. Christ, who embraced the cross and suffered out of love, sacrificial love for us. When that melts your heart, when that melts my heart, guess what? The good works will just flow. It'll just flow. On this Christ the King Sunday, I want to close with a couple of lines from uh, one of our hymns this morning, the opening hymn, which is printed correctly in your service leaflet. It's hymn number 616, Hail to the Lord's Anointed. It says this, kings shall bow before him and glad incense bring. All nations shall adore him. His praises all people sing. But my question is why? Why will the kings and the nations bow down and serve this Jesus? Why will they bow down and serve him as their one true king? Is it because he will crack the whip and coercively beat them into submission? That's what we often think of when we think about a king. Why will they bow down? Why will they serve this king? It's all in verse 2, a couple of stanzas above, which says this. He comes with comfort speedy. To those who suffer wrong, to help the poor and needy, to bid the weak be strong, to give them songs for sighing, their darkness turned to light, whose souls condemned and dying were precious in his sight. What compels fidelity to this king? Not force, not strength, not coercion. What compels fidelity to this king, a surprise, a surprise, the surprise of love, the kind of love that we see marked on his feet, the exposed feet of a homeless Jesus, the feet of King Jesus, yes, the feet of our poor and homeless king. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.